Hey, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Christ Covenant. I'm really glad to be with you tonight. Uh, if you are new to Christ Covenant, so this is a midweek worship service for young adults. We have small groups that flow out of what we do here. A lot of those groups actually meet before this. They meet from about six to seven on Tuesday nights. And hopefully next week, we're going to be able to open up the door and say, hey, we've got several new groups. So if you're interested in being in one of those small groups, some are Bible studies, some are accountability. We've got a lot of different options for you. What you want to do, just like uh, Cass and Maddie said just a minute ago, you're going to want to go over to this little table over here that has no one behind it now, but we'll have several smiling people behind it when you leave tonight. And you can fill out one of these little cards. Here's a couple of cards from last week. You'll, this card, you'll get it. You'll fill out the back of it. And on there, you can indicate, hey, I want to be a part of one of those groups. And if you've done that in recent weeks, we have not forgotten you. We've just been recruiting new leaders and working to get new leaders. And so we're going we're gonna to get that rolling hopefully next week. In fact, in the back of the room there, just so suavely leaning against that post, do you see the man in the black polo back there? That's, uh, that's Barrett. Barrett is brand new on staff. Yeah. Barrett is heading up our groups. Among other things, he's heading up our groups. And so Barrett will be helping coordinate that and getting y'all plugged in. Uh, we're excited for that though. So I didn't know, like, a, I don't know the right way to say this. I didn't know a sexy way to say, hey, I want to study the temple and people want to show up and learn, but I knew you wanted to see each other. And so I thought, well, I'll just say we're going to study the temple. But the idea that we're going to look at the next few weeks is tonight I'm calling it East of Eden after uh, one of my favorite books, um, East of Eden. Uh, I don't know if you've read that, but it's, it's great. It's an incredible read. It's one of the best that I've ever read. But next week we're going to, I think we've got, the, I think we've got them listed out. Do we have the three, the three weeks, the next few weeks? I think we do. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So this week we're going to look at the tabernacle. Next week we're going to look at how God provides. We're going to look at the temple. And the following week we're going to look at the new temple, which is the Christian. And so what you're going to see over the next few weeks, if you can, if you can stay a part of this and track along, I think what you'll start to see is the red line that flows through the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation. This book is a masterpiece. And it's truly divinely inspired because what you'll see is, man, these authors, over 40 of them, over 1,500 years, truly had one congruent story with Jesus as the centerpiece. And so much of that story has to do around the way that people worshiped and where in particular they worshiped. And so the original place of worship was the Garden of Eden. But as we know, people got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And so several hundred years later, God institutes a new place of worship called the Tabernacle, which was a traveling worship venue, kind of like Christ's Covenant. We had six places in 2020. We had our own little tabernacles all over the city. Um, hopefully soon we'll be in like one local spot. That'll be our little temple. Uh, because then the temple comes along and it's in one spot and it's stationary. But then when Christ comes along, the temple is destroyed and we then are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And Paul calls us little temples. And so we want to see this one thread that runs through. And I think every week there's like a punch. There's like a, man, I didn't see that coming. Did any of you see uh, the movie? This is, this is going to date me, I know. But maybe you saw The Sixth Sense. 
Yes, like a show of hands if you've ever seen The Sixth Sense, maybe your parents made you watch it or something. Okay, so in The Sixth Sense, Circa like 1999 or 2000, I forget when it was. It's like a long time ago, maybe like 98, I don't know. But it was one of the first movies to come out where at the end of the movie, you understand the whole movie. Since then, there's been a bunch of those movies that have come out. But when The Sixth Sense came out, spoiler alert, like the main character is dead the whole movie. And so Heather, my, Heather, Heather watched that with, so you don't have to watch it now, great. So my... <laughs> My sad, sad times. My father-in-law watched that movie. That's horrible that I spoiled it. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. He's just kidding. You don't know if he's dead or not. <laughs> you got to watch it. But my father-in-law, who I just think, I think he's like a Jethro to me. And if you don't know who that is, that's a Bible character. He was Moses' father-in-law, gave him lots of spiritual wisdom. My father-in-law has really been a Jethro to me. He's been a really great source of encouragement in following the Lord in ministry. But he also is a movie talker. Like, you know what I'm talking about. The people that sit behind you in the theater and they like are talking during the movie and you're like, they love this. They're like talking, but they're only talking to themselves. And so he, uh, at the end of the movie, when you realize that Bruce Willis, spoiler alert again, has been dead the whole movie, my father-in-law said, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. Nuh-uh! Like, and so the whole theater's going like, yep, it's, it was that big of a surprise, but he's letting us know how big of a surprise it was. Then you go and you watch the movie a second time, and you watch to see, like, was he really dead the whole movie? And you pick up on all these signs. They were so obvious. The whole movie, you watch it, and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, oh. Oh, oh, of course he was dead, like the whole time. Like, yeah, it's it's so clear. To me, that's how the Bible reads, and that's how God reveals himself. When God finally says, hey, I'm trying to tell you this, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you were. Oh, yeah, you were. Like, you've been trying to tell me that for a while, and you've been showing me in all these different ways. That's what you were trying to tell me. And, like, you put these people in my path. You let me hear that sermon, that one worship song, that, even that country song, whatever it was. Like, all these different things. Like, you were trying to, that girl in ninth grade. Like, you were trying to tell me all these things all along. Like, man, why didn't I see it? I think you'll see some of that as we study through a little bit of God's plan as we look at these places that he called people to worship in. So let's, uh, let's, let's take a look. I'm going to say a quick prayer for us, and then we're going to take a look at two New Testament verses, and we're going to camp out in some Old Testament for a little while. So Father, I just ask that you would help us to have an aha moment where we see, man, you have been calling your people back since people walked away from you in the garden. All through history, you've been calling us back, and you've made it so clear that you're calling us back. Lord, help us not to miss as you call us tonight to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. So, this past Saturday, I was in my little office up in a barn. That's another story for another day. But I've got this little office up in, our, up in a barn at, at our house, and I was, uh, I was doing a little studying, and I started thinking about 1 Corinthians 6. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 
It's the passage, if you were here this past Sunday, that Jason Dees, our lead pastor, he preached out of. Um, if you were a part of our like 37 weeks of relationship series, you heard me talk about it then. Um, thank the Lord somebody else is talking about those now. Uh, so he, I, I was thinking Saturday, I was like, man, I, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, you know, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her. I'm in uh, verse 16. As it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. I'm in verse 18. Every other sin a, a person commits is outside the body, but sex the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And verse 19 is the one that I just started like, just thinking about, just kind of just started rolling around in my head and it went on this like serious rabbit trail and you're getting what happened after that. But verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I'll read 19 again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. So I started thinking, man, we, we talk about sexual purity all the time. And honestly, after those really, all those long weeks of relationship talks, I was like, I don't really want to talk about relationships anymore. And so I wasn't thinking about, oh, we could do a relationship series. I was just thinking about this verse. And I started thinking about the temple and how it says here, do you not know that your body is a temple? Now, I've been to Israel about five times. Heather has been with me four of those times. We've seen the Temple Mount. We've seen Al-Aqsasar. We've seen the Dome of the Rock. We've seen uh, what's also called Mount Moriah. We've seen the whole thing. We've, we've been through Israel multiple times, seen this place that it, where the temple was. It's incredible. I want to take you. I want you to go with Jason. I want you just to go. Just go tomorrow. Just go. You need to see it. It's really life-giving, really faith-building to see these places. But as we, were, as we were there, it gave me an understanding of what the temple really is. But I thought, I don't think most people have any idea what the temple is. So I would just like real quick to pause. And you can have a ton of religious background or you can have like this much religious background. But when the Bible says that your body as a Christian is a little temple, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So like you're not some giant church building, but you're a little temple. What visual comes to mind? Like, how would you describe that to somebody? I'm going to give you like 20 seconds, not 30. Turn to the people right around you. Like, what comes to mind when you think of, I'm a temple? What does that even look like? What does that mean? Ready? Go. Let, let me show you a different passage, also in the New Testament. Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. We're getting near the end of the Bible. If you have a paper Bible and you get to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. The title of it is A Living Stone and a Holy People. We're going to, again, get another New Testament that is post-Christ. Like, Jesus has come. What does the world look like after him? That's New Testament. We're going to get another New Testament picture of what this looks like to be a Christian, a follower of God. And so, 
Paul says, or Peter says in 1 Timothy 2, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That is, if you are a Christian. And then he says, if you are a Christian, verse 4, as you come to him, you are a, he is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he quotes an Old Testament passage and he says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him, will not be put to shame. And then he goes on and he quotes a little bit more. We won't get into that tonight. We're actually going to look at those verses in a week or two. But the idea is this. Not only are you a little church, you're actually a stone that's being put together with the other stones around you to build another church. So you're like a little church within a church. Now that should tell us that all the time, even when the people in the left lane are going really slowly, I am still a little church. Thank you for laughing at that. Yes, the people in the left lane, why don't they move? And in Atlanta, why do people, when they miss their turn, make me suffer for it? You know, like, just you just missed your turn. I'm sorry, just keep driving to the next time you can turn. Um, so, like, yes, I see that there's a fist bump in the back. All right, like, so, yeah, I mean, no matter what, we're always this little church. I'm the place the Holy Spirit dwells. But also we, a bunch of us in this room, are Christians. We've been bought with a price. We will be in, in heaven together forever. And so we ought to learn how to behave together. Because the Lord says that we're these stones that are being put together. And by the way, how do you make a stone fit? You chisel off the rough edges. That's sanctification. And so as we grow in the Lord, as we become His, He chisels the rough edges off because each of us has a specific place to go in His big building that He's building with all of us. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight, we're going to go back. And I want to paint a picture for you of what the original one of these churches looked like, these temples looked like. And it wasn't called the temple. It was called the tabernacle. So go all the way back with me to Exodus. Exodus is the second book in your Bible if you're new to Bible study. And if you have a paper Bible, by the way, I love the paper Bible. I think you should all have paper Bibles. I use my iPad all the time, but I love paper Bible. Go all the way back to Exodus. Exodus chapters 25 and 26. We're going to bounce around just a little bit. We're not going to read all of them uh, because, honestly, it's, it's a lot. I'll tell you how much it is. In two chapters, the creation of the world and the first Sabbath are listed. In fact, in two chapters, they're listed twice. It took God six days to make the world. It took him 40 days to explain what the tabernacle was supposed to be. Moses, when they came out of Egypt, went up on Mount Sinai. You can read the account in Exodus 20 when he gets the Ten Commandments. 
It took him 40 days to hear God out on what this thing was supposed to look like when he came back off the mountain and how people were supposed to worship him. I'll say it again, six days to make the whole world, 40 days to tell Moses how this tabernacle was supposed to work. Now, that's, that ought to tell us something. There ought to be some weight to that. What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be one of these little churches? It's big and lengthy and complex and really, really intricately designed. And so let's look. And by the way, he spends from chapter 25 of Exodus through chapter 40 explaining the tabernacle. He lays this incredible design of what the tabernacle is. So let's just, let's just take a look. And by the way, if you're like a person who's reading the Bible through and you're thinking tabernacle, I don't hear that word very often. Well, it's also called the place of meeting. And over 140 times, if you're using an ESV, it's called the tent of meeting. So that ought to give you some context clues. The tabernacle is a tent. It's a place where God met with people. It's a place where people went to meet with God. And so now, if you think about that in context, God goes to us to meet with us, and we meet with God right here. I don't have to go anywhere. I'm a little church. The Holy Spirit's in me. That ought to give you an idea of like, okay, we're expanding that. What did that look like? So chapter 25, he's going to list a few things. This is God talking to, to Moses, and he says, for instance, in verse 10, I want you to have an ark of acacia wood, which is also called gopher wood. I want you to make an ark. And he gives this, these incredible descriptions of how to make it. And it's supposed to be wood, and then it's supposed to be laid over with pure gold. And then it's supposed to have molding, and it tells about the molding. And then it says it's supposed to have these four cast rings on the side. Then you're supposed to put this long pole on each side, and, and the pole is never going to come out. You're always going to carry it by the pole. And there's a guy in King David's regime who was carrying it, and he said, no human's ever supposed to touch it. And the, the ark was about to tip over, and the guy reached out and touched it, not on the wooden pole, but on the ark, and he dies. And that's where David mourns over him. And so he goes through, and he explains all of that. And he says, on that ark, I want you to put two cherubim. Now, these cherubim, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, I don't know if any of you have like one of the scary dogs. Like Heather and I, we have Boston Terriers, so we don't have one of the scary dogs. But some of you may own like one of the scary dogs, the big ones that when you walk them, people are like, cool. Um, and so like, and if you're a girl, get a scary dog, right? That's great for you. Um, like that'll, that'll automatically like sift through some of the fellas. Uh, and so, but he's, uh, he, he, he the, these guys like put these dogs to shame. They're giant lion-like creatures with wings and fangs and eyes that can see uh, incredible distances, and they're super strong. And God says, I want you to make this ark, and I want you to put two cherubim, one on each side of it, and I want you to have a mercy seat in the middle, and that's where I'm going to meet with you on that mercy seat. Now, you can put things in an ark. It's a case, and so you lift the lid off, and he said, I want you to put two jars of manna in there. I want you to put the Ten Commandments, and I want you to put Aaron's rod in there. And if you're familiar with the story of when Moses goes before Pharaoh, he throws the rod down, the rod becomes a serpent, he picks it back up, and it goes into a stick again. He touches the rod to the Red Sea, the Red Sea splits. He touches the rod to the Nile, the Nile turns into blood. It's a pretty important stick. You don't want to lose that. And so he says, put it in there. So they put it in there. Now that is the place that God is going to meet, and that's the first thing God says to build. And so he builds it, and we're not even getting into the two guys who built all this stuff, which, by the way, Brandon Lopez, who does our sound in the back, who does a lot of things. Brandon's amazing. Brandon was talking to me earlier about 
there's an idea that maybe these two guys, the two construction guys for the ark and for the table of bread and for the golden lampstand, were the first two guys to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Just building the things for the tabernacle. And so God says, I want you to build this first. And then he says, if you look over to verse 23, he says, then I want you to build a table for bread. Now the table for bread, that's a very interesting thing. So in the tabernacle is going to be bread. I would make a Baptist joke, but I'll stop. So like, because there's food, right? And, and so, uh, but there's this, there's this table on the side and it's going to have bread on it. And it's called the bread of the presence. And it's really mysterious. Why do you have this table with bread and bread of the presence? What a, what a mysterious name. And you know what? There's not a lot of description giving as to why. But remember, the whole time, the movie The Sixth Sense and other movies like it, when you get to the end, you look back and you're like, oh, I see it now. So then he also says, I want you to build a lampstand. Now, if you have any Jewish friends or if any of you come from a Jewish background, you have a menorah and you've seen a menorah. We worked in East Cobb for a long time. and There's a lot of Jewish people in East Cobb. And so, you know, happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah seems like a great idea, by the way. Eight days of presents, I'm in. And so... Like, we had a lot of Jewish friends, and so a lot of, a lot of menorahs. Uh, this lady I worked out with at the gym a lot, she, like, she was one of the coaches at the gym. She, uh, she, was, uh, she, she loved the menorah, and like, she had like a little one in her car, I think. Like, she loved some menorahs. So here's what we get. Oh, we have it on the screen. This is great. So I'm going to walk over here, and hopefully I don't squeak. Ah, oh, I did. Okay. So we see the two, we see these two cherubim on the outer wall, and these guys are like the lion flying things. And then we have this, this lampstand. Now, the lampstand, which you can't tell from this, but the description, if you'll read it in Exodus 25, it's supposed to look like a vine. And it's supposed to have almond blossoms on the ends of it. And so each of the seven or of the, yeah, each of the seven places where the fire comes out, the flame comes out are almond blossoms. And you fill those with olive oil and you light the olive oil on fire. And so this almond blossom is always burning. And so you also have this little square thing there with the two rods through it, not the one on the very back, but it's called the altar of incense. And so you go by this incredibly ornate almond blossom that's burning. Then you have the bread of the presence on one side, and then you get to this altar of incense, which sounds really mysterious and very Eastern. They are Eastern. And so, like, it's got this, this incense burning, and it smells of a certain smell all the time. God gives a very specific order of what can and cannot be burned on that. And so now the whole place smells, and there's smoke going, and there's bread, and there's fire, and you haven't even gotten to the presence of God yet. So you can imagine Moses up on the mountain hearing all of chapter 25, and he hears the things that are going to be in the temple then, or in the tabernacle. Then you get to 26, and there, moreover, I love it. God says to Moses, we're not done. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle. You're going to make it with 10 curtains of fine twilled linen and blue, purple, scarlet yarns. You'll make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. They're going to be the length of each curtain, and each curtain's length is going to be 28 cubits. And so he goes on in this whole chapter, and he describes what you're looking at here on the screen. Now, as he goes on, he says, let's look, at, let's look at verse 15. 
You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and the cubit and a half breadth of each frame. There will be two tenons in each frame for the fitting together. And you start to read this if you're reading the Bible in 90 days, and you're like, I'm going to skip the rest of this. And you keep going to verse 21, and it says, And there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for the corners and the tabernacle in the rear. And he goes on and on and on, and you're like, I'm just going to, if you're listening to the guy as you're reading your Bible in 90 days, you're like, what's 2.5 speed sound like? And so you finish chapter, you finish chapter 26 and you're like, oh boy, the bronze altar, and you get into even more stuff, and then you get to the outside of the temple. And... It's just this, you're like, what is the point? Well, let me give you the big picture point. The big picture point is that God wanted to meet with them. And he wanted to meet with them where they were. And where they were was the desert. And not only did he want to meet with them where they were, he said, I want to meet with you how you're living. How are they living? They were living in tents. And so he said, you know what? Build me one too. He said, you're in a tent, I'll stay in a tent. And what you see when they finished is this. And by the way, if you're like, is that from a book? It totally is from a book. There's a family dispute going on right now as to whose book this is. I think it's mine. She thinks it's hers. Whatever, it's fine. But <clears throat> the Heather and I are going back and forth over whose book this is. Maybe we have two copies. I like to think we have two. I like to think we love each other so much we're just going to share it. Um, but <laughs> no, I think it probably is Heather's. But in this book, it's so cool. It, the whole thing is about the temple. And to get to the temple, you have to go through the tabernacle. And so, yes, that is a picture from a book. But what you see is God said, hey, you're in tents. You're in the desert. Put me in a tent. Put me in the desert because I want to be with you. And here, by the way, is what it's going to look like when you come inside my tent. But by the way, very few people can come inside my tent. I'm only going to let a couple of folks go in because it's really dangerous to stand in front of me. Most folks just didn't care enough to get that close to God. They were fine with somebody else hearing from God. But Moses... He loved this tent. Turn with me to uh, Exodus 33. Now, God revealed these things over time, and over time, he told them exactly how they should even camp the 12 tribes around this tent. But before all that was established, it says, now Moses used to take the tent, and he pitched it outside the camp. And by the way, when you read your Bible, you have to know, we like things to always be called the same thing. The Bible writers, they were okay with different names meaning the same thing. Now here it's called the tent. Other places it's the tent of meeting. Other places it's the tabernacle. Other places it's the, dwell, other places it's the dwelling place. So here it's just called the tent. Moses used to take the tent. I'm in verse 7 of chapter 33. And he would pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent to the tent, or they would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at the door of his tent. 
And they would watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned again into the camp, his assistants his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now Moses, he knew it was special to have immediate access to the Lord. So he would take the tent, and he would go pitch it. And it would take a few people to pitch this tent. He would pitch the tent, the one you see on the, on the television now. He would pitch that tent, and then this cloud would come once he would go in and he would go past the menorah. He would go past the bread of the presence. He would, go, he would go past the altar of incense being burnt. And he would go past this, the last curtain in there, the holy of holies. And he would enter in before the ark. And the Lord would descend on that place. And there would be this giant cloud covering it. And you can imagine all the people of Israel just whispering. Those, those young people that were trying to, to stir their faith, they would watch and maybe they would say, maybe one day God will speak to us like that. I wonder what he's saying. You can see like the dads with their arm around the little kids going, son, daughter, that's, that's the way that God talks to people. He talks to Moses face to face like someone talks to the friend. I mean, you can just imagine all the people watching and then Moses would come out. But two people went in according to this story. Joshua, the next leader of Israel, the one that would take them into the promised land, he lingered and he would stay. And we have no idea what the Lord told him there. And, you know, sometimes I think we can just take a little teaching point. We haven't gotten to the teaching point that I want you to take home yet, but, but I think we can get a little teaching point out of that. Sometimes you just need to linger with the Lord a little bit because maybe he wants to tell you something. And maybe when he tells you that thing, maybe everybody else doesn't have to know. Maybe sometimes something special can just be told to you and you just know it's for you and for right now and you just need to soak on that and think on that and just be content where the Lord gave you something you needed. And then to conclude the book of Exodus in chapter 40, he says that in verse 22, that Moses put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, the outside of the veil. He arranged the bread on it before the Lord, uh, uh, before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, I'm sorry, that's one of the priests. Aaron would do that. He would do all these things, and the, the tabernacle would be set, and then you go to verse 34, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out, but if the cloud did not take up, they did not set out until until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Another little mini teaching point here. The church, the tabernacle, is what God used to lead everybody else. 
When the church was covered with the Lord, people stayed. When the Lord got up and started to move, the church moved, and everybody else followed. And so, you say, Thomas, it's a great, it's a great history lesson. I've shown you what it looks like, but where's this red thread? Well, I think there's this red thread that connects. Let's go back to chapter 25 real quick. In chapter 25, when you look at the first few things that were made and you look at this picture that's on the screen here, it's very interesting. All of this is foreshadowing to Jesus Christ. Do you remember there's these seven I am statements that Jesus gave in the book of John? Well, one of them, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Every time people went into the temple, they had to walk by this bread, which represented life-giving sustenance to get to God. You had to go by the bread. From the very beginning, God was foreshadowing the bread of life every time the tabernacle was set up, and then it continued once the temple was set up. And by the way, do you remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus was the bread of life. He was the light of the world. And so the bread of life is right there as they go in to get to God. And by the way, you have to walk by the light that's in the temple to get to God. And what did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Look at this. No one comes to the Father. Where's the Father? He's back there with a cloud going up into heaven. No one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody got to the Father there without going past the bread and the light, and no one today gets to the Father without going through Jesus Christ first. It was one of those moments where people were like, if I'd have only known. John 14, 6 is absolutely true. And by the way, Jesus was probably conceived on Hanukkah the festival of lights. Just to like put an exclamation mark, Jesus was probably conceived on Hanukkah, the festival of lights, because he was probably born about nine months later, nine or ten months later, which would have been the, the fall of the year. I think that's when he was born. I think he was probably born in October. Other people think the spring. I think he was probably born about October, which means he would have been conceived in December. So the light of the world who was represented in the tabernacle and the temple was also conceived on the Feast of Lights. Like it couldn't be, in, like as we look back through history, we're like, oh, God was like really setting this guy up to show up on the scene. And so he shows up. And <clears throat> by the way, in John chapter 1, when you look at John 1, there's some famous stuff in John 1. In John 1, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people who did not receive him, but all who did receive him, that believed in his name, gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. It's a terrible translation. The word dwelt is the same word the Hebrews would have used to say tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us. What did God do? He dwelt in a tabernacle among them. What does Jesus do? He tabernacles among us. Like there's this red thread all through the Bible that goes back to the desert here. But there's one more thing. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, and I don't even know if the Israelites knew this at the time. In Genesis 3, verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, 
The man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground which he was, from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword in every way to guard the way to the tree of life. One more picture from my favorite book, Heather's favorite book. Uh, <clears throat> Here's a depiction of what happened in Genesis. There's these two cherubim, and they're placed to guard the entrance of Eden. And between the two of them is a river, and between the two of them and that river is a flaming sword that God set up. And what did God do? He said, hey, I'm going to keep you from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and my presence, and I'm going to kick you out. And these are things that we typically, when we read the Bible, skip over because we're like, that's kind of boring. What does it say in verse 24? He drove out the man and at the, what does it say? If you're looking at Genesis, at Genesis 3, 24, take a look. The east, do you ever pay attention to stuff like that in the Bible? Like, what does it matter which way he drove them out? Well, he drove them out to the east. Now, this is also interesting. East of Eden, the book that John Steinbeck wrote, it comes from Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, if you look at verse 15, it said, Then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain... Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. This is after Cain had killed Abel. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now look at this. This is fascinating. Everybody in the Bible gets run out or walks on their own east of God. Us on our own, we're always wandering east of God still today. We wander away from him, and which way do we naturally go? According to the scriptures, we go east. We could dig into that later, and what does it mean to go east and all that? But nonetheless, they went east. Everybody went east. Cain was driven east. Cain went out east. Adam and Eve were driven east. Go back one more time with me. Exodus chapter 26. Remember the part I talked about how you put on 2.5 speed? Because you're like, what's this all about? Look at verses 21 and 22 of, Genesis, of Exodus 26. And there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two blah, 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 blah. That's how I would normally read that. Verse 22, and for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames, blah, 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 blah. Wait, hold on. Where's the back of the temple? Westward. Where's the presence of God? Westward. Every time the people had to go and meet with God, God was drawing them back from the way they had gone on their own. Every time the people went to meet with God, he said, you're going to come west now. You went east on your own. I drove you east because of your sin, and I'm calling you back home. So every time, no matter where in the wilderness that tabernacle was set up, that tent was erected, they were always heading into the sunset to go meet with God in the cool of the day to hear a word from the Lord. And it wasn't them who decided, we want to do this. It was God who said, I want you to come west. I want to bring you back home. 
And what does Jesus do in John 1.14 when he tabernacles among us? He's calling us back. And there's this whole red thread through the Bible of we go east and God calls us back west, and he's bringing us home. What is his constant mission is to bring us back. He's always just bringing us back. Because what are we doing? We're always walking away. And those little words in the Bible that were like, what's the point? He's doing the same thing in your life. I promise you, he's doing these little things all the time, trying to say, I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to listen to me. And we're like, blah, 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 blah. What's 2.5 speed sound like? I got things to do. And I think one day as Christians, if that's what you are, we will wash up on the shores of heaven and God's going to show us what could have been. And I think a lot of us are going, I never saw it. And I think we'll say, but it was right in front of us. Over and over, the author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your heart. And it's real easy to be like, Am I missing something? And probably the answer is like, yeah, unless we're listening the best we can listen and in this book, as much as we can be in this book and in Christian community, as much as we can be in this community, it's real easy to miss what he's up to. But let me say it as loud and clear as I can tonight as we wrap up. He's been in the business since we got kicked out of the garden of bringing us back. And tonight... I bet you, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I know that verse is in the context of sexual purity, but I bet we can apply it to a lot of different things. Do you not know that you, if you're a Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And if so, what is he calling you back from? What is he saying? I want you to honor me a little bit more in this area. I want you to do this thing I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to tell you. I want you to come eastward and you just, or I want you to come westward and you just keep going eastward. And so as we talk about the next couple of weeks, how the tabernacle then becomes the temple and what's the significance there and then how we become those little tabernacles. And we're being built together into a bigger one. We've got to start with the idea that God's call is always to come back to him. So let me just pray for you tonight. Is there something the Lord's calling you back from? Lord, we want to run. We want to run away. We always want to go east. Sometimes you push us out east because we've rebelled against you, and sometimes we just move there. And Lord, you're gracious and you're always calling us back. And I thank you that in the tabernacle they always had to go back. And I thank you that Jesus tabernacled among us to bring us back to you. So Lord, tonight, would you just stir our hearts and let us know if you've been showing us something and we just haven't seen it or we've just missed it that we might go westward and we might come back to you and dwell in your presence and linger there like Joshua did. Move in this place. Move in our hearts, Lord, and help us to respond with a yes. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.